Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. This is a program entitled Messianic Teachings for Christians, and we're in a series of covering various topics that is the difference between, say, a Messianic believer and a standard Christian believer, church-going Christian believer, and the transition that Christians are going through when they become Messianic and some of the natural questions that come up for Christians when they see a Messianic believer. Today, I want to focus in on some of the most obvious things that, say, a Christian will see in a new Messianic believer that raise natural questions and get them to wonder, what, what are you doing? I'm not sure I understand how that's supposed to work. And, and in fact, in the course of doing this teaching series, I've gotten those exact same questions mailed in to me and sent to me, for those of you who have been viewing the previous broadcast. And one of them is, I'm sitting here before you with one of these on. This is called a kippah. And it's the same word that we have for kippur, yom kippur, the day of atonement. This is called a covering, which represents my atonement comes from God. There's also another name for it, a slang name for it, that comes out of the Yiddish, and it's sometimes called a yarmulke. That is because of two Hebrew words, yar and molka, which mean fear of the king. And so a yarmulke says when a man's wearing one, I am in fear or I'm in awe of the king. I'm in awe of the king of Israel. Well, as a Messianic believer, I know Yeshua, the Messiah, is the king of Israel. So I wear this in showing that I hold the Messiah in awe and as a king. This is a very traditional head covering that's used by a lot of Jewish men, people who are around Jewish communities wear these. There are different styles of kippah. For example, this is a cloth one, and those generally are the ones where a person is wearing it because they're religious. But there's little small ones that can be like knit or made of other material that are on there, and that's what's referred to as a Zionist kippah. That is someone who's nationalistic for the state of Israel, and so it's a nationalistic symbol for the state of Israel, not necessarily a religious one. Uh, there's those that have kind of almost a cap that has no bill. Those are called Yemenite kippahs, and it just happens to be a lot of Jews who came from that part of the world, and their kippah used to be designed that way. Now, sometimes they're colorful. Sometimes they have embroidery on them. Sometimes they're plain, depending on where, where community that you're at. They have a different style for them and so forth. And they even have kippahs that are made with little kid stuff, you know, a little small boy, a bar mitzvah boy will wear one. On Yom Kippur and at weddings, the kippah is generally white. But this has been my kippah for a long time. I've had it for a very long time. And if you come to my house and you're part of Passover, you'll be wearing a kippah, you know, in my house. The word for the plural of this is kippot. Kippot is all of the kippahs that people wear. A singular is a kippah. Now, the reason why there's a natural question for this is that we have a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul wrote to us, and it has to do with head coverings. 
And some of you have been observing me, you're listening to my teaching, you're going, how do you explain that passage of Scripture? I thought it said that it's a shame for a man to have his head covered when he prays. So what? how do you answer that, Monty? So we're going to do a messianic teaching on 1 Corinthians 11. This is an excellent example of some of the different things that you're going to see in observance between a messianic and your standard church-going Christian. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 2, it reads as follows. Now I praise you that you remember me in all things and hold fast the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is the Messiah, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of the Messiah is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman praying or prophesying with her head unveiled dishonors her head, for it is one and the same as if she were shaven. For if a woman is not veiled, let her also be shorn. But if it is a shame to a woman to be shorn or saved, let her be veiled. Now, before we go any further, Paul has already said that what we're talking about has to do with a tradition. He said, the tradition that I've given you, I've handed down to you. So let, right off the bat, let's, let's define what is a commandment, what is a custom, and what is a tradition. A commandment is something that God has specifically said he wants us to do or not do. A custom is an activity or something that might be done by a homogenous group, people of the same nation, people of the same church, people of the same family. They have customs. These are the things they do as to be a part of that nation or that group or whatever the case may be. And then there's traditions. And traditions are things that were actually done before somebody else did a tradition, and now we're doing the same thing because that's what was done before. So Paul is alluding to that these things have been done before. The understandings he's sharing, these have been done before. You should hold to those traditions. You should hold to what you heard before. So what in the world is he really talking about? I mean, women have to have their heads covered. Men shouldn't have their heads covered. What are we talking about? Well, let me take you to the commandment that he's really teaching. He's teaching Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Let me read the commandment to you. A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For whosoever doeth these things is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Today, we have this activity going on unbelievably. The whole idea of a transvestite, is someone who, say, a woman gender, biological gender, decides she's going to be a man and she's going to dress up like a man. Or a man who's a biological man, and he decides, I'm going to dress up and look like a woman. This is considered to be, by the commandment of the Lord, an absolute abomination. It's considered to be extremely offensive. And the Lord says, you will not do this. 
So what is Paul really trying to address here? It, it's part of this teaching because part of it also extends this way, that in particular with a woman, she's given long hair. The man generally does not have long hair. That's the way God kind of set it up. Women have long hair. Her hair is the glory of the woman. Her glory as a wife or as a daughter is supposed to be given to her father or her husband. The reason she would cover her head is to distinguish and make sure that she's showing that her glory goes to her husband, literally her Lord of the house where she lives. And I know that there's a lot of people who might say, well, that's very sexist. That's only this last generation that came up with that nonsense. I can tell you the whole rest of the world has operated very well on the fact that a man is the head of the house. He's the protector, provider, you know, for his wife and his children. And she submits to his authority and his leadership in the home. And they're a part, they're a team. She cares for the home and he's the head of the house. Very traditional. And that's what Paul's really talking about. He said, you need to hold to this tradition of family and community. You can't get families to join together in a community unless they're all basically doing the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? If everybody's doing their own thing, you're never going to become a community. But if you have certain standards, certain traditions that you follow, then, then you can come together and be a community. Paul's talking about, I need you to be a part of the traditions that are godly people. This is the way we do things. And the way we do things is that the man represents the head of the wife. The wife submits to the husband, but the man is under the authority of God. You remember me telling you about this? You see, this says, I'm under the authority of God. Every covering represents being under authority of something. I'm showing I'm under the authority of God. Well, what is this statement where he says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head? You know what he's actually talking about? He's talking about an effeminate covering. If a man is wearing a head covering that would be worn by a woman, he dishonors himself. It's part of this commandment. A man shall not wear a woman's garment. A woman will not wear a man's garment. That's what this is about. Let me continue on with what Paul's going to teach here. Look at verse 7 with me. For a man indeed ought not to have his head veiled. Do you hear that? A veil is part of the woman's covering. That's what he's talking about. For every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonored, is covered by what? A veil, he says. If it's covered by a veil, a female garment, that is the problem. For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. I'm supposed to wear a head covering that is a male head covering, not a veil of a woman. That's what he's teaching. Don't wear effeminate head coverings. Wear a covering that is a man. And when I wear this one, I'm showing my submission and that my authority comes from God. I, I'm not standing up with a bare head and saying I'm in charge. 
I'm not God. He is God. I'm the man part here. That's what this indicates. By the way, I would like to remind you that the high priest used to wear a head covering. Every priest of Israel wears a head covering. A head covering has to do with submission to authority. By the way, for those of you who are veterans, you know this very well. When you go in the military, you learn all about covers. When I went into the United States Navy, I didn't do anything that I didn't have my cover on. The only time my cover came off was when I was inside. And oh, by the way, in the United States Navy, you don't salute without a cover. You better have that hat on when you salute. And the Marines can tell you even more so. You get that cover on. That shows you're under authority and that you're following the, the commandments that you've been given in your orders. Police officers wear covers. They're under authority. That's what covers mean. You know, I know some of this stuff is basic stuff to mankind, but in these days, you know, a lot of people are not taught basic respect unless you get it from the scriptures. Most homes, a lot of fathers are not teaching their sons how to handshake another man, how to refer to another man as, as sir, yes, sir. When I was growing up, my dad specifically taught me how to shake a man's hand. He said, don't stick no fish out there in front of him. You grasp his hand. You look him in the eye when you shake his hand. By the way, if he's another man, you stand when you shake his hand. You render to, you call him, yes, sir. You don't call him by his first name until he grants you that privilege. I never once ever called my father by his first name. Never once. We were taught respect. The Hebrew word Adonai, which is translated as Lord in your Bibles, is the equivalent in the Hebrew to saying, sir, it's the equivalent. We, we refer to God not by his direct name. We refer to him as sir. We call him the Lord. He's sir. We show the respect for him. The Tetragrammaton, which different people pronounce in different ways, varying ever from Yehovah to Yahweh to Yahweh, that's actually his name. And by the way, there's a commandment that says you will not take that name in vain. You will not make that name common. That's the reason why the traditional blessing is we say, Baruch Hashem, blessed be the name. And we're being respectful. When we say the Shema, we use the term Adonai. Now, I've got a lot of brethren who they think they're smarter than all of this, and so they want to throw the name around. They, they, you know, what they lack is the basics of respect. By the way, that's what Paul's teaching. A woman commands a certain respect. A man commands a certain level of respect. And what the definitions of those are, let me read to you from verse 7 again. For a man in need ought not to have his head veiled, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not the woman, but the woman of the man didn't come from woman. Man was made by God, dust of the earth, but a woman came out of the man. This is part of the definition of the genders. 
For neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. God said, you need a wife. I'm going to give you a wife. He was created for the man. However, and this is where the respect kicks in, verse 10, for this cause ought the woman to have a sign of authority on her head because of the angels. She should have a head covering as a sign of authority that she's under her husband. Now, a lot of husbands, let me just tell you from a custom standpoint, will allow his wife to let her hair and it being done nicely, her, she does up her hair, he'll accept that as the symbol that she's under his authority. In fact, my wife comes in every time she does her hair, she comes in, she does the same thing. She goes, you like my hair? Yes, I like your hair. I see it as representing me. You're, you're, you're representing yourself to me in a very respectful way. Now, maybe a lot of ladies didn't realize that's what they were doing. Maybe they were just going for the, for the shampoo commercials. However, a woman's hair, especially a married woman or a daughter, is to represent her father or her husband. Now, a lot of messianic ladies will also put a prayer shawl on top of their heads when they pray. Sabbath, when they start Sabbath, they'll usually cover their head. They, they make it very formal, very respectful. When she puts that shawl on her head before God, she's saying, I'm under the authority of my husband in this house. She's not doing something with God. She's showing in respect of her husband. When the man puts any kind of a covering over his head, he's showing, I'm under your authority, Lord. And it's not just a kippah. It's also a talit, and I'll talk about that here in, very shortly. So it has to do with a sign of authority. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is the woman without the man, nor the man without the woman in the Lord. There is no way that you can separate these two anymore. We both need each other. And God expects us to both be present, to both submit ourselves to the Lord at the same time. Verse 12, for as the woman is of the man, so the man also by the woman, but all things are of God. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. This isn't complicated at all. Judge ye yourselves. Is it seemly that a woman pray unto God unveiled? Whoa. Let me ask that question again. Judge for yourselves, is it seemly that a woman pray unto God unveiled? You know what the obvious answer to that question is? Yes, it is unseemly. When a woman decides to assert her authority above her husband and say, well, I'm going to talk to God, but I'm not going to cover my head. I'm not going to put a covering on showing I'm under the authority of my husband or my father. That is highly disrespectful. It flat is. It's unseemly. It is not appropriate. That's the way God sees it. It is not appropriate. I mean, you know, would it seem unseemly to you if I were to walk in, stand before you to give you a speech and talk about the Bible and my zippers down? Yes. That's not appropriate. Let's correct that. That shouldn't be happening. Well, this is the same kind of issue. 
It's embarrassing. Now, maybe the person who's doing it doesn't feel embarrassed, but for the other people in impacts. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 14, doth it seem natural itself to teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? If a man grows his hair out and styles it like a woman's hair, let me let me go ahead. I'll I'll give you the Monty commentary on that. That's as stupid as it gets. I mean, that's stupid. You can't figure out what gender you are. Well, in this world, apparently a bunch of people can't figure out what gender they are. But before God, these should not be issues for us. We recognize that God created man and woman. We're created in the image of God. This is who we are. We have a God. We are not gods of ourselves. We don't make the rules for who is a man and who is a woman. God made those rules. We live with those rules. But as you know, in the world that we live today, we got all that confused. Now, do you know why Paul taught this? Because in the Gentile world, when he went out to the Corinthians, some of these issues were starting to spring up. Some of the stuff that we see going on in the world today, it was, it was happening there in the Greek world. And he was giving instruction. He said, hold to these traditions, follow these signs of authority, do these things that God has commanded. We're back to this very basic question that we started this series with. Are we supposed to keep the commandments of God or have they been replaced because Jesus showed up? Because this is one of the commandments of God. Well, it's my position that yes, we should. Now, there's a little bit of a shade here a little bit. We have a commandment, we have customs, and we have traditions. And they're all intertwined in this subject. Let me continue to read just a little bit forward. Verse 16, but if any man seemeth to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You heard him say there was a tradition. You heard him say that there's a commandment, and now he's saying there's a custom. So let me go a little bit further with this, and let's talk about how this all works. If you're going to be in a messianic assembly, our tradition is that, for the most part, the commandments of God are going to prevail in all of our expressions. We're not going to do anything that will violate a commandment. And one of our traditions is a kippah, a man's covering that has no bill, just a simple covering and we're saying, I'm covered before the Lord. My atonement comes from God. I fear the king. I'm in reverence to him. This is, it's a tradition that we should honor the Lord. It is a custom to use this type of kippah. Now, others have a custom of kippahs that are for the nationalistic, the Zionistic, the Yemenite tradition. That's a different custom but it's still the same tradition. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And this is not violating the commandment. 
This is actually part of my observance of how I do keep the commandments. I'm not wearing any effeminate covering. I'm not wearing a veil. I'm wearing a kippah. And I'm demonstrating to you that you can hold me to account that I hold the king of Israel in awe and that my testimony is to you that my atonement, my salvation comes from the king of Israel. You got a problem with that? Got a problem with my testimony? I don't think you do. I think if you're a believer, you say, okay, well, maybe I haven't done that, but I, I agree with that conclusion. I agree that, that that's a good testimony to have. As I said to you before, the high priest used to wear a covering, a very special covering called a miter. And he even had a gold band on the front that said, holiness to the Lord. Priest wore kippot. And they went and did their job. They, they had a kippot. And they're all showing themselves under the authority of the God who's in charge of that temple. The high priest is under the authority of God. The priests are under the authority of God. They're all there doing that. As I mentioned to you before, the military, they all use head coverings. It's all about sign of authority and respect. And in fact, there's different coverings in the military. When I was in the Navy, I was very proud of the fact I had one of them Dixie cups. Okay? That's what we call them, you know. And, but, but the actual name was cover. And the Marines, they've got that thing that goes this way. They've got a build hat, you know, and so forth. By the way, let me go ahead and tell you something about the customs of those military hats. Do not put your fingerprints on the bill of that hat. You do not touch that. That's a custom that is associated with that cover. Uh, by the way, if you're an officer, you have different insignias on your cover compared to an enlisted man. If you're a senior officer, you'll have all that gold braid, you know, that's up on the top of the bill, which we call the brass, you know, the brass or the upper man, upper officers and so forth. Covers tell us a lot and they all represent many powerful things. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with a man in a military hat to pray to God. There's nothing wrong for me wearing a kippah pray to God. In fact, my preference is I want to have my head covered. I want to show myself to God that when I speak to him, I'm speaking to him in reverence and respect of who he is. He is my Lord. I submit to his authority, and I want everybody to see me pray, know that that's my position with regard. So I wear that as an outward thing. It is a custom. Is it a commandment? No. Did you hear what I said? It's not a commandment. I can pray like this, but I prefer to follow the custom of other brethren and do this. And oh, by the way, it's a tradition. I didn't come up with this idea. And the people before me didn't come up with the idea. It's something that's been handed down, that's come down. Have you ever seen Catholic priests with their little kippas up on their head? You know, the cardinals and the bishops, they have that little covering. You know where they got that from? The Jews. They got it from the Jews. They, they know what the symbol is. They know what it represents. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about transvestites, but I will say this part. The, the world that we live in, 
with the transvestites and that agenda that's being put forward socially for us in the nation, trying to give them certain rights and where all of us, our rights are being removed from us because they want to change that definition. What is at stake is this. Our government and our leaders have decided to willfully and defiantly transgress the commandments of God. They are going to pay a price for having done so. Not from me. I'm not their judge. These aren't my commandments. If a homosexual wants to come up and sit down with him, I'm not condemning a homosexual. I'm not condemning a transvestite. Now, if he asked me what would be my recommendation, I would refer to, and I'd say, I think it would be better if you went back to God's definition of a man and a woman and just did this great tradition that has been handed down from hundreds of generations before and stop trying to change the world and the whole definition of man and woman and everything else going on in the world. Look, my recommendation, if you really want to change something, why don't you change the direction that the sun rises and sets on the earth? Let's have it rise from the west and set in the east. Let's have them work on that for a while instead of messing with the stuff that involves us, okay? And I'm confident that they, they'll, they'll do just fine there. I, you know, I'm being a little bit facetious. But the whole thing that we're talking about is utterly ridiculous, what's going on in the world. This is clear as can possibly be. In the tradition of, of understanding this commandment, the question comes down to, now, what are the standards and under what conditions for that? For example, okay, a woman is not supposed to wear a manly garment. What about trousers? Man generally wears trousers. I've seen some women walking around the legged pants, not skirts. And I've seen other Christians in the past taking this, this verse and claiming, well, a woman has to always be dressed in a skirt, a dress, not, not in the trousers of a man. You ever seen that? By the way, that's the way it used to be in churches. When I was growing up, a lady did not go to church in capris or a pair of trousers. She went in a dress. But I would remind everybody that way back a long time ago in the temple, that the priests actually wore a tunic at the bottom, had a hem to it that was almost like a skirt. And now underneath, he had some breeches on, you know, undergarment. But he, it, was, it wasn't trousers. And women in the ancients used to wear trousers, you know, to be more secure, you know, for them. With, that's reversed. In other words, the custom changed a little bit. And that's one of the things that has to be taken into account. Does the Bible explicitly say a woman cannot wear a pair of trousers? No, it doesn't say that. What it says, she's not supposed to wear a manly garment. So how do we, how do we sort all this out? Well, one of the things that the, the rabbis have taught about this. In other words, how do, you, how do you set a standard for this so that people can understand it? They say the following, that if you're, say it's toward evening time, it's dusk, there's still light out, but it's still dusk, and you have a man and a woman 
that are about 100 yards away from you. If you can still distinguish by their outer apparel shape, imagery, that's the woman and that's the man, then those are acceptable attire. In other words, it's visible. You can tell who the woman is. You can tell who the man is. Whether he has a cape on or whatever the case may be, the idea is to be able to distinguish between the two. That's the idea. Now, I've seen messianic ladies, they get their prayer shawls, and it looks kind of like a tally. This is a manly garment, and it kind of looks like the shape, but it's very colorful, and I wouldn't wear a colorful one. So that that's clearly looks female to me. So, so that's how you have where it could be construed as a male garment or could be construed as a female garment, but, but you can t still tell the difference. And that's, that's the issue. As long as there's no confusion about who is a woman and who is a man, basically anything is acceptable. Women like to wear sandals. So do I. Not a problem. Doesn't, doesn't, well, when I wear sandals, it doesn't look like I'm a female. When she wears her sandals, it doesn't look like she's a male. You know, it's it's a non-issue. And so that's where this comes in and how we deal with size, shape, head coverings, coats, trousers, or skirts. You know, do you appear, if you're a woman, do you appear as a woman? And if you're a man, do you appear as a man? Now, I want to talk about one other thing that you're probably going to see from Messianics, and that is this is a talit. This is a prayer shawl. And this is my particular one. I, I need to do a little explanation about what are the parts of this so you understand what this garment is. This is what I use when I pray and teach the Lord. If I'm going to lead the congregation in a formal prayer, I'm going to be having this on. If I'm going to be teaching formally to the congregation, I'm going to be wearing this. If I am at the holidays and so forth, I this usually goes on me every Sabbath. Let me tell you what the commandment is. The commandment are these tassels. God has commanded us to wear the sitsits, that's what it's called, the tassels on the corners of our garments. Now, this is a talit, has four corners. You can put it on this. You can put it on also what is called a talit katan. Katan means little. And very observant Jewish men will wear an undergarment. It's like a T-shirt that trails down, and they'll hook these tassels at the corners of their undershirt, and they keep it tucked in. Well, actually, the way they do it is they wear it, and they pull the tassels so it hangs on the outside of their clothes. The custom is that you never take these into a dishonorable room. They're not to be visible. And so when I go to the men's room, I take this tallit off. I don't wear it into a restroom or a bathroom. If I have them on my belt loops, if I have a tallit katan on, and a lot of Ephraimites like to hook them to their belt loops, stuff them in your pockets. Don't have them open and exposed when you go into the restroom. Why? Well, what is this commandment? It says that you will make this tassel, you'll wear it on the outer part of your garments because. When you see this, and this is the commandment, you will remember not to follow your eyes, which go a whoring after idols, but you will remember 
every commandment that God has given. You'll listen to what God says, not follow your eyes. And by the way, that's a major teaching in the commandments of God. You will not do it the way you see. How many times have you ever sat down with somebody and you're talking about something that could be done one way or the other, and he makes a statement, he says, well, I don't see it that way. You can't believe the number of Christians that I've sat down with and I'll share the commandment of God with them and they'll say, well, I don't see it that way. Did you know that the commandment of God says you will not say that to the Lord? You do not follow your eyes. You know, those guys from Missouri, the show me state, well, I ain't going to believe unless you show me. You're in big trouble with God's commandments. You keep holding to that. Faith comes by hearing, not by sight, brethren. You're supposed to listen to what the Lord says. You're supposed to read what he says and hear what he says. You're supposed to hear it from the heart. You're not supposed to see it. You're supposed to hear it. That's where faith comes from. Well, this garment is specifically reminding you of that lesson. It's saying, don't follow your eyes. When you see this, don't follow your eyes. Follow what the Lord has said. Now, this particular macrame that's on this tassel is a very traditional macrame. There's different macrames for the tassels. There are eight strands in this tassel, but there's one cord which is blue. And in fact, the commandment says that you'll put a blue cord. And the blue cord is what binds the tassel. You'll notice that the, 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 these different rounds where the blue cord was used to, and there's five knots, there's eight strands, so that's the number 13. Five plus eight is 13. The Hebrew gematria of a sitzit is 600. So 600 for the sitzit five and eight from the knots and the strings, and you get a number 613. Why is that significant? That's the number of commandments that's in the law of Moses. So we make a tassel to remind us of all of the commandments of the Lord. It's a very simple thing. Now, one of the things in the difference in customs, when you run into a, a regular Jew, an Orthodox student, somebody that doesn't necessarily believe in Yeshua, all his will be all white. He doesn't have the blue cord. If you see one that has a blue cord, that is a person who believes in Yeshua as the Messiah. That's the sign. We see the servant, we see the Messiah being the servant that helps us to keep the commandments. Did you hear that? The Messiah helps us to keep the commandments. Well, if you don't believe that the Messiah is here to help, it is to encourage you to keep the commandments, you wouldn't wear one of these. But God commanded us to do that, to know that lesson, to understand that the Messiah came to help us to keep the commandments. And it's just like this blue cord, which is wrapped around these tassels to make this sitsits. Now, let's talk about the other part of it. You see all this fringe on here? The Lord said, I want you to put fringe on your garments. I want you there to be an edge. Now, this is not a smooth edge. What in the world is that about? Well, God wants us to be in the world, but not part of the world. We're supposed to be on the edge of the world. We're not supposed to succumb to the things of the world. We're supposed to be separate unto God. 
that fringe indicates I am trying to be on the edge of the world. I'm following the Lord, and I'm not part of the world. This is where the world is at. Over here is me and the Lord. Do you remember the story of the woman that had the issue of blood for about 12 years? And she said, if I can just grab the fringe of his garment. He was wearing a talit. She reached up and she grabbed the talit of Yeshua. And instantly she was healed. Her faith was healed. And he instantly knew the power of him had gone to heal her. And he turned around and said, who touched me? Who touched me? You know, because he's in a crowd of people. I, you know, I know the disciples going, who touched you? I mean, you're in a crowd of people. Well, is what he's talking about. Somebody touched me, the hem of my garment, and they got healed. That Something happened there. That's a pretty pretty messianic thing there. I know a lot of Christians that are all in love to teach about healing. Well, you better get one of these things. This is a pretty powerful thing that talks about healing, about being separate from the world. There's a tremendous lesson in here about this. And Yeshua used to have these, and the disciples used to have these. This is a common tradition. Traditionally, it's white. It's come from the teaching of Isaiah. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. When I put this on, I'm demonstrating that God has forgiven me. My sins are no longer scarlet. I have been covered by the Lord, and I'm white as snow. Because that's what the Lord has done for me. Up here on the top, this is called the crown. In this particular crown that I have, it has the actual Hebrew blessing when you put the talit on. It says, Blessed art thou, O Lord of God, King of the universe, who has commanded us to wear the sitzits. And so when I put it on, I acknowledge that I'm keeping that commandment before God. When you put this on, and you're obeying this commandment to do this, you are regarded before God at that moment to be blameless. Wow. You are blameless before God. You're covered by him. His, he covers all of your sin. You're obeying the commandment to wear the tassels. You're, you're at the moment obeying God. You're not doing your own thing. So before God, you're blameless. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're in exactly where you're supposed to be. You know what Yeshua used to call this? Your prayer tent. You go into this. You wrap yourself in it. You get completely away from the world and you pray to God in private. And God says to us, pray to me in private. Just come talk to me. Don't be making prayers so that you can be heard by men. You come talk to me privately, and I'll deal with you. Well, that's what this is for. I can go anywhere in the world, and I have my prayer closet and my prayer tent no matter where I go. So it's pretty useful. Now, there's another part to it is, you see all those stripes on there? There's a teaching that goes about holiness with regard to that. See, God commands us, I want you to be holy just as I'm holy. Well, a lot of us go around and say, oh my gosh, how can I possibly do that? I mean, God's holy. I'm, I'm in the flesh down here. I'm not, I'm not holy. Well, one of the things you learn when you learn the Torah, is you find out that God is the one that actually makes you holy. 
You can't make yourself holy, but God can make you holy. And by you coming near unto the Lord and obeying the Lord, he sanctifies you and you move into the zone of being holy with him. You're in his presence. He's holy. Be holy for I'm holy. Go into the presence of God. I guarantee you, you're holy. The exception receives. And basically what he does when you come into his presence, he draws a line out and he separates you from the world. You're sanctified. You're separate from the world. So you see these lines. You know, God drew a line around me and it's holy in here, but not holy there. That's the world. But here's the problem. You know, we as men, even when we're wearing the talit, we have occasion to cross the line. And we step back over, we stop being holy, we, we keep going across the line. And guess what God's mercy does? He keeps drawing the line out in front of us again. And then we cross the line again. And he keeps drawing the line out again. So the reason why there's lots of lines on this, because it's illustrating God's mercy is new for me every morning. And he continues to be merciful to me throughout the day. There's a famous story told about a, a Jewish man that goes in a Judaica shop and, and the clerk is there and he says, can I help you? And he says, yeah, I need to buy a tallit. He said, okay, very good. What kind of tallit you want? You want a wool tallit? You want a full size? You want a, a linen tallit? You want a bar mitzvah tallit? What kind of tallit did you want? He says, I need one with a lot of stripes on it because I need God's mercy. And that's part of the illustration. This garment, when I want to go to a very special place with the Lord, I mean a very special place, separate from everybody else in the world, just me and the Lord. There it is. I go under that, and the Lord and I do business. And I'm in his presence, and he's with me. And all of those things illustrate all the things I'm trying to do, you know, with the Lord and how to walk before him. <coughs> the key, one of the keys to the transition for Christians coming into Messianic teaching is they have got to come to terms with what's the difference between a commandment, a custom, and a tradition. Because... Religious men have a tendency to make their traditions more powerful than commandments. And the Messiah specifically taught against that. He told the Jewish religious leaders, you prefer your traditions to the commandments of God. That's the mistake. It is a tradition that Christians go to church on Sunday. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if they're doing that so they can replace the Sabbath on Saturday, now they got a problem, big problem. They're doing the same sin that the religious leaders did in the days of Yeshua. They preferred the traditions of men to the commandments of God. And so one of the things that we have to learn is how to understand those things. I want to tell you one last uh, little story. Yeah. This is part of the traditional teaching that most messianics will hear. We, we tell the story about these men that were in a synagogue who were keeping Sabbath. And one of the men was there. He said, you know, right at the end of the service, we always sing this one particular song. 
as we conclude that then, then the rabbi pronounces the blessing over us before we're dismissed. And we sing this song, but on the last verse, we always turn and we face the door. Why, why do we do that? Why do we, on the last verse, do we always turn and face the door before it? Well, this other fella, he says, well, let me explain it to you. See, God has commanded us to be a light to the nations. And so once we've come to the synagogue and been refreshed on the Sabbath, why we turn on the last song to get ready to go into the world to be a light to the nations in the world. Now, there's this old guy who's been around the synagogue for a long time. He's sitting over there and he's listening to what they're saying. He's over there nodding his head like this. And they notice him. So they walk over to him and he said, you heard our conversation? He said, yes. He said, do you disagree with what I said about why we turn on the last verse? And he said, yes, I do. He said, well, do you know the reason why we turn on the last verse? He said, yes, I do. Well, tell us, what, why do, on the last verse do we turn and look at the door? Well, a long time ago, we didn't know the words of that song, so we put them on the wall. We put the first three verses up on the front wall, didn't have enough room for the fourth. We put the fourth verse on the back wall. That's a good example of how a tradition, suddenly people think, becomes a commandment. You do it enough times, you think maybe God commanded you to do it. All right, brethren, that's our program for this week. I hope this is being an encouragement to you. I have a lot more to share with you in the future episodes. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Lamb Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.